Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Goins from the Reimagined Schools Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. The Sound Thinking Interactive subscription includes worksheets, assessments, slides, lesson plans, webinars, professional development, and support all by the team at Sound Thinking Interactive. Click on the link in my bio to sign up. And also, for listeners of this podcast, you can enter coupon code TDM20 to get $20 off the price of your subscription. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Michal Houlihan, and we are going to talk about sound seeds, nurturing musicianship in the elementary classroom, and it's something I am very excited to discuss with him. And I, before we get going, I'm just going to let him introduce himself and tell you about all the amazing work he's doing in the field of music education. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's just a great pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, we've got a beautiful sunny day here in Philadelphia, so I'm just delighted to share with you my experience um, coming from Ireland and working in the United States and sort of sharing that with your listeners today. Yeah, awesome. So tell us about what you're doing now. Like you've already told me you've gone all the way from teaching kindergarten and now you're teaching college students. So tell us a little bit about that journey. So, you know, I was educated in Ireland and I sort of had a dual track. It was piano performance and I coupled that with a degree in elementary music education. Um, and but specifically, it was also elementary education. So it was teaching, being an elementary teacher. It was being a music teacher. It was doing piano performance. And I think that was pivotal in shaping how I approach the field of music education, because for me, I was approaching it like not just a music teacher, but like an elementary teacher. And so I was looking at the broader picture, which I think was exciting. And also being a um, piano major, it gave me that other aspect of being a performer. Um, I left Ireland, got an Irish Arts Council scholarship, and I studied at the List Academy in um, Kodai Institute in Hungary. There I studied musicianship, conducting, pedagogy, piano and voice. And there I was exposed to what I would call the Kodai concept of music education. Now, again, the Kodai concept of music education is very different in as the way it's practiced in Hungary, as opposed to how it's practiced in the United States, 
because in Hungary, it's about great musicians teaching children in the K through 12 or K through 16 program. In the United States, we tend to divide up teachers into, oh, they're orphans. Kodai, Dalkros, Eclectic, <clears throat> that really doesn't exist in Hungary. There's just one way to teach music, and it's the most effective way of teaching music, which is having a great musician in the classroom, sharing their musicianship with their students. Mm. So that was a huge revelation when I came to the United States to see exactly what the American adaptation was of the Kodai concept. And I was sort of initiated into this very strange way of thinking in the United States. <laughs> about how music teachers think about how they should be teaching and how they belong to different cliques. And I thought, wow. So that was another goal of mine was to sort of figure out how do I break these walls down between these different cliques of people and show that we all have a common goal of educating students to the best way possible and initiating them into the best practices. Um, so currently I'm uh, chair of music at the Tel School of Music, where we have several different programs, including music production, performance, and also music education. Um, but what's special about that program is that all the music theory and education courses are integrated together, where musicianship is at the heart of what goes on in our program. And what I mean by that is so many times, teachers who graduate from music programs, they get great pedagogy resources and great pedagogy classes. But modeling musicianship and music theory is not as great as what they get in the pedagogy classes. And what I mean by that is in pedagogy classes, we're well aware of the idea sound to symbol, mm -hmm. that that's the approach we take. We begin with the sound of music and Orff talked about that. Kodai talked about it. Suzuki talked about it. Gordon talked about it, that beginning with the sound, experiencing the sound before you go towards moving to symbols or notation, whereas in theory classes typically practiced in the United States, I think what happens is you're inundated with symbols mm -hmm. and the sounds come later. So you're getting two opposing practices in your music education degree. And I think that this could be at the root of yeah. most of the challenges that music educators have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I when you were unpacking your story, I'm also a classically trained pianist and I actually started as a piano performance major as well and then music go. education. <clears throat> but while you were talking, that was part of my problem when I stepped into my first classroom was my brain from all the years of piano it is all theory, not all, but a lot of it is theory books. And like you said, the symbols, like understanding reading music and and then I remember trying to translate that over to the classroom setting. And a lot of the kids, like you said, they need to experience music before learning the theory behind it. But that piano brain of mine was trying to figure out how to, but wait, I was taught all that way, you know, in piano lessons my whole life, but it's hard sometimes to shift your mindset. And so it makes me think of teachers listening who were trained in any instrument, even voice, where that maybe is a struggle where your musicianship bringing that into your classroom and having that mindset shift of it's okay not to start with theory first so i can see that being tough was that i mean do you experience that with the teachers you work with so yeah I, you know i i also sit the i also am a um an evaluator and mm. a, a chief evaluator for the national association of schools of music it's an accrediting body that accredits all of the major conservatories and music schools in the United States. 
And I also happen to sit on the commission for that. There's a group, I can't remember, of 12 of us that accredits universities. So I have a unique vantage point. Like I get to travel around the country, I get to visit universities, and I'm always interested what's going on in the music theory program mm. and what's going on in the music ed program. And invariably, when I talk to students at these programs, this is what comes out all the time. It's confusion. And I think one of the things that we're finding in the United States, I find in my own research and working with teachers that they feel good with the pedagogy, but they feel limited by their musicianship. Mm -hmm. And it's that lack of musicianship. It's like, wow, that prevents them from being the best teacher possible. So what they find themselves doing is teaching lots of fun activities because they haven't been shown how to do this other stuff. And initially when I deal with teachers, you know, in various programs, you know, I, I teach in various graduate programs during the summertime. What I get is this wall is placed in front and they want to hold on to those activities because that's who they are as teachers. Mm -hmm. Once we sort of engage in musicianship and show them how you can foster your own musicianship as a prerequisite for teaching your students, it's like that wow moment and they go, wow. Mm -hmm. I am really a musician in the classroom sharing my musicianship with my students. I'm not this education activities person that's trying to fill up my time with fun activities. It's like it's my musicianship that's going to really get to the soul of the kids. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I think it's all about. That's our dilemma in music education today. Mm -hmm. And once yeah. teachers have been shown and given the right skills and shown that they are musicians, but they weren't necessarily trained in the most effective way to develop their musicianship skills. It's transformational as to what goes on. Mm -hmm. They totally change the way they teach. And we've got so many, like I did an extensive um, in-service training for the Houston Public Schools over a number of years. The first one was for four years, and then we just finished last year another four-year program. But this is a typical kind of comment we get. You'll watch a teacher before the training, and you'll talk to the students, and the students will say, yeah, it was, it was okay, it was fun, she's in a good mood today, I don't know if they're prepared today. Like, kids are very, very smart. They oh, yeah. will tell you if a teacher's prepared or not. They have this figured out. But it's so interesting going back to these students where the teachers have had a year of this kind of musicianship training and they describe that teacher in totally different ways. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's engaging. I'm learning more. And you sort of say, well, what are you learning? And they say, oh, I know these songs. And they start singing all these different songs. Oh, I can do these kinds of skills. I can sing with rhythm names. I can sing with solfege. Oh, let me show you what my improvisation is like. Oh, I play the orphan instruments over there. Like they're speaking like musicians. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that this is the magic we want to unfold in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I think teachers forget, like you said, you can use your musicianship. And like you said, sometimes they just don't know how. Yeah. When you were talking about, uh, it didn't hit me until you said it, how we do it in the U.S. is not the same as everywhere else. Yes. Because I, that's one thing I've always struggled with is I resonate with a lot of the different teaching methods. And I don't. I, I pull from ORF, I pull from Kadai, I but 
there, like you said, I, the word clicks, I sometimes see that happening where you forget that you're just teaching music uh, uh, over everything else and bringing your musicianship to your students is important. That's what matters the most over any other, you know, identifying with the teaching philosophy. Those are super important and get trained in them, but don't lose yourself in the process in your musicianship. And the other thing you said, I was thinking about the teaching standards and you working with so many different, you know, school districts and states, you've probably seen them all where I know that sometimes is a sticky point with teachers as well when they're like, okay, well, it says I have to cover this. You know, I'm even thinking of the National Core Art Standards. I have to teach these standards to kindergarten by the end of the school year. You get so stuck on doing that. And like you said, you get you get wrapped up in the what activities am I going to be teaching that sometimes it just takes the fun out of it for you and your students. And they they notice that you're right. Kids are smart. And so, um, yeah, those are a few things that came to mind. Yeah, you know, I, I think also that teachers are overthinking what it is they need to be doing. Oh, 100%. You know, honestly, it's really about in the classroom, like a lot of the time we're using the word musicianship. Mm-hmm. And what was extraordinary to me in my own research with Dr. Philip Taco was there were so few definitions of what musicianship is. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things we decided earlier on was, we have to define what musicianship was. So for example, if you had all different kinds of musicians in a room, jazz singer, gospel singer, folk singer, pop musician, classical singer, and you would instrument, you would all of them in a room, what is it that they all share? What's the commonality that they all share? And so one thing that we discovered was they all perform. Mm-hmm. They sing, they play instruments, conductors move. So performance is something they share. A second thing all of these musicians share is an incredible knowledge of repertoire. Every musician knows a body of repertoire in detail. The classical, since you're a pianist, you will know all of the repertoire from the different style periods. If you're a folk singer, you will know the song repertoire from wherever you have come from. You might know other folk music, but you know, you have a, you, you know, the popular musician, you listen to like great musicians. I think I, one time I heard Lady Gaga doing an interview and it was fascinating to hear what she could sort of talk about what went before her, mm. what current practices were, where she thought she was pushing the field. You know, you hear Billy Joel talking about all of the commercial music, but how classical music impacted him as a composer. You know, it's amazing that that repertoire is so important. Mm -hmm. Then you have what I call critical thinking skills. And there are two aspects of this. There's what I call sound music theory and symbol music theory. Now, symbol music theory is what we all got in, what most Americans got in their undergraduate degree, all about symbols. Mm -hmm. That's symbol music theory. But sound music theory is so important. It's what I call like how commercial musicians learn together. So they listen to a piece of music they're going to perform. They notice what's the form. They describe interesting rhythm patterns, not in terms of rhythm syllables or note names. They just discuss it. Oh, it's syncopated. Oh, that's an interesting rhythm. Or they talk about the melody. They talk, oh, that's an interesting melody. Oh, that keeps repeating. They talk about the form. So sound music theory and symbol music theory are so important in musicianship. 
Then we have the other aspect, improvisation, composition. And then the last aspect of musicianship is, of course, I would call being an informed audience member, like knowing the biographical details, knowing about instruments, knowing about where a piece of music is or the cultural identity of a piece of music. These are five multi, what we call the Hulen talk of um, five dimensions of musicianship. So when we talk about musicianship in the classroom, these are the five things that we can focus on. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned earlier in the conversation, oh my gosh, it's so difficult, like for example, to think of the standards and how these all work together. Like, let me take, I do a lot of work in Texas. Mm -hmm. So for example, Texas has four different standards. Mm -hmm. So they have music literacy foundations. Well, if you're teaching students about sound theory and symbol theory, you're covering your music literacy. If you use that information to build upon, to develop improvisation, there's your creative expression. If you're giving students knowledge about the song you're singing, or if you open up a lesson with a body movement to any different kind of piece you want to open up to, there you have an idea of your history and your cultural relevance. And you know, What's key in all of this is that not alone are you teaching your students musicianship, but you're also teaching your students how to be musical. Hmm. So in terms of when they're singing, how do you feel about how you sang? Did you convey the text of the, like kids can be incredible critics when they talk about evaluating how I would sing as a teacher, how, teach, how students would perform, how you could do a better job. All of a sudden, your critical evaluation and response is covered. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I would say to teachers is when you have a good way of teaching, it's organic and it addresses any new fad that comes your way. So I work in um, work with a lot of fine arts directors in Texas, but I've been there for many, many years, 30 years. And one of them said to me recently, um, Patty Moreno, she said, you know, we've been working together for nearly 30 years or more. We, we, we use 30 years because 40 sounds too high. <laughs> but so we, we've got to that stage in our relationship, 30 years or more. But she said, no matter, as a fine arts director, and she was a fine arts director in Austin, and she's in Hayes Consolidated School District now, she said, no matter what they throw at us, the Hulan and Taka model and multiple dimensions of musicianship has stood the test of time. Hmm. And why has it stood the test of time? Because our research is based on what good teachers know in the classroom. It's data driven. Yeah. You know, and that's really what it's all about. Like, I think teachers are overthinking mm -hmm. what they need to do. And I think it goes back to my initial premise. If their musicianship was developed the way they want to teach their kids, that would give them the security and confidence in the classroom. Yeah, I was also thinking, you know, as I said earlier on in the conversation, that's why teachers feel the need to do all these activities based ideas, mm -hmm. you know, and look, I say to teachers all the time, we love eating donuts. Who doesn't like a good donut with a cup of coffee? We love doing musical donuts with our kids. You know, you know what it's like on a Friday afternoon and it's raining your best lesson plan. It's yes. very difficult to do that lesson plan. And, you know, we have those strategies, we have to be able to do that. But, you know, if we keep doing musical donuts with our kids, we're going to give them musical diabetes. Mm. Yeah. And that's a problem. You know, I don't know what the medicine for that is. Maybe it's like going back to good musicianship 
you know, good teachers with good musicianship, going into the classroom with great repertoire and knowing mm-hmm. how to work that. Mm-hmm. And by the way, going back to Hungary, <clears throat> that's what I noticed with all the good. They don't think of themselves as Kodai teacher or whatever. They just think of themselves, I'm someone that's a good musician. I've got great songs. And that winning combination will allow me to develop the kids' performance skills, whether it's singing, playing on orphan instruments, playing recorders. It'll allow me to develop their reading, writing skills. It'll allow me to develop their improv and composition skills. And it'll allow me to develop them as informed audience members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's almost like the Julia Child approach to cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's like you follow a certain basic guidelines and you can produce these in- incredible dishes and incredible lesson mm-hmm. plans. Mm-hmm. These are great questions, by the way. You can see how I can keep going on, but you have to stop me because. Oh, no. Why... no, 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 okay. no, you're good. No, no, that's great. So I do want to ask the musicianship and as you defined it, thank you for that, by the way, because that really does help clarify what you're talking about. Now, helping students develop their musicianship, what are strategic ways teachers can help them? I love how you even talked about the feedback from students, you know, that you worked with in Houston and then how it changed over time because they were developing their musicianship probably without even realizing that was what was going on. But the feedback you got from them, you could tell that was what was happening. So how can teachers nurture their musicianship and then how can they also carry this musicianship with them as they get older? So these are really great questions and it's like, I don't know how I'm going to answer you. you Right. (laughs) I'm I'm going to try. So when we talk about musicianship and developing students' musicianship, the first thing I would say to teachers is develop your own musicianship. Feel confident about your musicianship. So what does that mean? One advice sort of I give teachers and graduate teachers when I teach doing service or whatever, I'd say whatever repertoire you're going to introduce to your students, make sure you can sing that confidently. Make sure you can sing it with words. Make sure you can sing it with rhythm syllables. Make sure you can sing it with counting with numbers. Make sure you can sing it with solfege syllables. Make sure you can sing it in letter names in different keys. Even though you will not be doing that with your kids, that will allow you to develop your musicianship surrounding those pieces of music you're going to present to your kids. You will be more confident. Hmm. I'm always amazed in Hungary when I remember talking to Kati Forai, who was the architect of the she was a student of Kodai, but she was the architect of the kindergarten program in Hungary. And when she expressed an interest to Kodai that she wanted to become like a kindergarten teacher and she graduated from the Liszt Academy of Music, he made her go back to do a diploma in conducting and a diploma in secondary school music. Why? Because he considered the kindergarten the most important like introduction that kids would have to music. Mm-hmm. And he understood the value of having the best musician possible teaching those kids. So in some way, trying to adapt to an American environment where teachers can't afford to go back and get another degree and another conducting degree, as much as we'd all love to go back and do those things, doing that kind of thing and preparing 
the focus of your musicianship and developing that before you teach is really important. Mm -hmm. Because look, we all know the realities of what happens in the classroom. Teachers simply don't have enough time to plan. Right. Teachers spend so much time trying to develop resources for their lesson that they don't have time to actually think about the lesson. And by the way, that was the goal behind Sign Thinking Interactive. We wanted to plan for the lesson so the teachers could learn to teach the lesson mm -hmm. and the students would learn. Now, sometimes people will say, well, I want to develop my own lesson. You know the way music teachers go, they want to develop everything and they want to create all as if no one has done any of that work before. But the reality of the situation is, let me draw the analogy back to cooking. I love to cook. You never ever hear a cook say, or a chef who's starting off their career say, oh, I want to try and figure out what the recipe is and I'm going to create it all myself and I'm not going to look at anything. Yes. Like that sounds so ridiculous. So what do you do? You go to a cookbook, you get a recipe, you work with that recipe and then you make it your own. And once you've made it your own, now you're at a different level of expertise where you don't need as many prompts. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's something else, I think in terms of developing musicianship, look at curriculum resources that are research-based and data-driven. I'll clue you in, there are very few of those resources on the market at the moment. You know what I mean? So that's something I would absolutely say. Like that, that was also the other thing, and I know we're getting to this later on, with the Sound Thinking Interactive resources, we wanted to, you know, put resources that were budget friendly in the hands of teachers in the classroom who could start off with the recipe of here are the ingredients. But trying to mix those things together to create the wonderful cake or the wonderful dinner, that's the job of the music teacher. So we want the music teacher to know the repertoire really well, audiated in their head how they want the students to perform it. Then the next thing we want them to do is imagine going through the lesson, follow the directions, for example, let's say Sound Thinking Interactive, where we got these incredible lesson plans and resources, mm -hmm. follow them and imagine how you're going to introduce them to the kids. You know, so many times teachers fail to bring in imagination and play into the classroom. And this is critical. How are you going to set up this adventure for the kids in the classroom? That those are the missing ingredients because of course if you don't activate the child's soul how are you going to really mm. teach them the joy of music so good and so many times i think teachers are focused on the techniques i'm doing the technique of kodai and you kill them you you murder the music with the hand signs <laughs> the rhythm name i'm going to do the orphans and i bang on the instruments i get them to all to play or i'm going to do you know these are just technical tools that should make the leap to real music. Mm -hmm. If your teaching keeps focusing on the technique and doesn't get to the artistry, that to me is a problem. Mm -hmm. And the problem is the following, the kids won't be energized and won't have a passion for music. Yeah. 
You're is that right. enough? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Well, that ties directly into my next question, which is you and Dr. Taka have developed this program called Sound Thinking Interactive, which you just mentioned. I would love you for you to dive into that a little bit more and talk to teachers about what they get from the program and then what they would get um, after being enrolled in there. Right. So, you know, look, I'll go back again. Why did we begin this Sound Thinking Interactive for teachers? Talking to teachers, teachers need a lot of emotional and social support. I think they find it very difficult getting the support from their classroom teacher sometimes mm -hmm. or from their principals. They don't feel they're valued. They, they worry, as you mentioned earlier on in the conversation, how do I meet the state standards for teaching music? They worry about, I simply don't have enough time to create the visuals and the resources that I need that look professional and sort of engaging for students. Teachers worry that the way they teach music, you know, it's that um, imposter syndrome that people have. Maybe it's okay in my classroom, but there's no one looking. But it's like, how would they feel if parents, principals, everyone came into the classroom to watch them teach? would they feel confident? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of teachers, as I said earlier on, they have their different units throughout the year. They're going to do this unit and they're going to do this unit. And I look, it's fine. Once they celebrate St. Patrick's Day, I'm fine with that. Because that's important. <laughs> but you know what I mean? They have yeah, all of these yeah. different units and then they have to do their performances. You know, it's a lot to ask a teacher who teaches maybe one music lesson every six days. Like the reality of that is frightening. And to, you know, how do I look like a professional? So really our goal here was we wanted to come up with a comprehensive solution to all of those challenges that the teachers were facing. We wanted to come up with a product that offers a comprehensive solution that encompasses curriculum resources, assessment tools, lesson plans, worksheets, professional development. So it's like a one-stop place for teachers to go. We wanted to focus on something that offered support to teachers. Like if teachers see a product and they go, okay, this product has been field tested. If I open up my grade one, what am I looking at when I open up Sound Thinking? Okay, I'm going to see, here's my lesson plans. Oh, look, here are my curriculum resources. Look, here are all the songs I will need to teach my different units. But one thing that differentiates this approach to all of the other approaches is it's grounded in the key aspect of um, standards, which is mm -hmm. foundational music literacy skills. Because that's the one that seems to appear over and over again, right across the United States mm -hmm. as a really important strand. But the irony is that's the one that's so difficult for teachers to teach. So what we've done here is we've created these resources with an emphasis on student development. It will, any of the classroom teachers that see this will go, wow, this is developing cognitive thinking. It's developing the ability to sort of silently think inside your head. It's developing motor skills. Like what we've now done is create a resource that the classroom teacher can see. 
they're following the Hula and Taka model of learning in the classroom. This corresponds to the model I'm using in the math lesson. This corresponds to the model I'm using in the literacy lesson. Mm -hmm. And also we using a model of learning that is research driven, research based, um, and it's proven. The research for all of this was published by Oxford University Press. And, you know, it takes a lot to get something published by that publisher. But so that's what's exciting about it. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I have gotten to explore this program a little bit and going in there and everything you just talked about, especially I love that you said it's a one stop shop and every single feeling that you were talking about teachers experiencing of imposter syndrome and I'm not sure how to do this and I just need a quicker way to pull a lesson plan and so I can know how to teach it and everything you just talked about is all the struggles I hear from elementary music teachers pretty much on a weekly basis and I love this and so I am so excited about this program and to help teach spread the word about it and teachers go explore it and you guys look into it and you're going to Love what you see, I promise. So, and, and you know, something yeah. else that you, you'll notice that the website keeps changing. You know, the product itself keeps growing and it keeps adapting. The reason for this is because we place customization and adaptability at the front of this product, mm. which means that I'll give you an example. I was teaching a graduate course last year and we were using Sound Thinking Interactive as part of our resources. and. When we were developing, I, I work a lot with teachers from the aspect of, you know, when you guys are pianists, you go to a master class and you work with someone. Yeah. Well, what I do is I view teaching as a master class in the art of teaching. You get up, you teach, we stop, we question, we go back again, you redo it, you redo it, you redo it, until you have the confidence to do it on your own. Now that takes like even teaching something as simple as a, as a, say a, a folk song. Mm -hmm. It's so challenging to do well. 99% of the time when I get teachers and we start off, teach me something. I go, wow, look at all the things they forgot to do. Facial expression, right key, tempo, dynamics, character of the piece. The minute we practice that and we develop their musicianship for singing that song correctly. Now it becomes artful teaching. But in the course last year, as we were going through the sound thinking and teacher would say, you know, I wonder if it could do this or it could do this. And what they were doing was they were writing to the person that's designing this actually lifetime saying, would it be possible to do this and this and this? And it was changing right in front of them. That's amazing. So we're changing the product. It's developing with the teachers. And I think that idea of teachers being listened to, that customization, that adaptability is so important. Mm -hmm. And then coupled with that, then we have professional development where we're working into the idea of, you know, we offer professional development to teachers and school districts. Like so many times music teachers sit in and professional development that have nothing to do with music. So we're, we're addressing that need. We're also focusing in on um, summer certification programs, and that will begin in, in like next year, 2024, where you can get your certification if you want to in Kodai, if you want to in ORF, if you want to in general music, but with a focus on this 
standard that's appearing in all of the state standards, foundational music literacy. Mm -hmm. We think that that foundational music literacy is the thread that binds everything in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And what's really important is that teachers have plenty of opportunities to integrate some of their own activities into this environment. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The foundational musical literacy aspect is something that it seems in our head knowledge that it should be easy to teach. But once you break down those standards, that is where a lot of music teachers feel stuck. They just look at it and they're like, great, but how do I teach that? What is the steps? What am I, what song am I supposed to use? You know, that's where they get stuck. And as a pianist, you know this, if you, for example, if I say to you, um, I want you to play a piece in a minor key in six, eight meter, you will look at the notes and you will Mm -hmm. figure it out. Yeah. But if you have to teach something in minor in compound meter to students, beginning with singing, first of all, (laughs) and not doing an instrument or anything else, oh my gosh, you (laughs) won't try it. You know, and I think it was interesting. I can't remember. I might be off with the dates here, but it was a number of years ago. We were keynote speakers at Texas Music Educators Conference. And what we did was we brought one of our students um, with their, I think it was a fifth grade class to demonstrate their skills. And it was a beautiful lesson. It was like it was a musicianship lesson. They were singing. They were playing games. They were adding their orf instruments. They were doing their improvisations. And there was over a thousand teachers there. There could have been more. Mm-hmm. Like what was interesting when they were finished, there was this pause for a minute. I think it was shock. And like then everyone sort of clapped. But afterwards, teachers couldn't understand how were these kids able to do that? Yeah. And it was because they started in kindergarten mm-hmm. and there was this vertical alignment right through. And we were building on the emotional the social skills of kids, developing that joy of music, and they were demonstrating skills. Mm -hmm. One thing I say to teachers all the time is, you know, the worst thing we can do as teachers is hold on to things that are not data-driven or research-based. My favorite one is this. On a social media website, if you ask, like, how do you teach a piece of music, you'll get a couple of responses. Oh, but if gosh. you ask, how do you teach rhythm? Oh my God, it's you insane. will be thousands. It'll be insane. Yeah, and they're arguing about it. It's crazy. But they're arguing about it, but <laughs> yes. there's nothing there based yeah. on research. Just because you feel that you're doing the right thing does not mean that you are doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a typical example. You know, when we were in Hungary, we learned the typical Kodai rhythm syllables. When we came to the United States, we met professors and some are teaching at the, the you know, teaching theory at mm-hmm. the college and graduate level. I was introduced to the Takadimi syllables. And I thought this was the irony about all of this. Movable dough is based on relationships that occur regardless of keys. Like if you hear so me do, it's going to sound so me do, regardless of what key you're in. Rhythm syllables need to also be sort of have that same characteristic. If you hear a rhythm and you label it with rhythm syllables, well, then you should be able to notate that rhythm in duple meter 2-4 or 2-8 or 2-2 two two 
And each of those notations, you should be able to read with the same rhythm syllables. And the irony is in the Kodak concept, you can't, they all change. Mm. So it was a huge, like, oh my God, the research told us something. I mean, we felt Kodai was the way to go. We felt that, oh my God, if we didn't do this, we'd be breaking all of the Kodai rules and regulations. But we decided <laughs> we have to do Takadimi. Mm. And now today, Takadimi is the most widespread rhythm system that's taught in college theory programs. So I will say to music teachers, you might like to teach certain syllables, but if you don't prepare your kids for joining the college theory program or joining the choir where they're using these syllables, you could be putting your students at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And if I changed my mind, anyone could change their mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. No? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You don't know what you don't know. And once you, you dig what... what you dig in, once you dig into things, that's how I was. You dig into it and then you're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is, yeah. but you're right. The social media, a love hate relationship because those yeah. Facebook groups are helpful, but at times it's just like, there's so much like beware if you're going to ask a question you're going to get a hundred opinions which is going to overwhelm you more so and, and i just <laughs> pushing an agenda because it makes them feel good promoting yes. their way of doing it and getting yeah. as many likes as possible but that's not research right you, you know what i mean like it's very very clear you know and of course this is a whole topic of conversation how do you actually teach rhythm from a sound to symbol perspective mm -hmm. that makes sense mm-hmm Good luck with that one. But the good news is we've done a few in Sound Thinking Interactive, so you don't have to think about it, you know. Yes, anyway, awesome. That, that's something else I love about Sound Thinking Interactive, because as teacher, as you found and you talked about it yourself, as you follow along in this way of thinking and teaching the kids, you will actually become a better musician yourself. Mm -hmm. Because you're developing these fluencies and thinking and audiating and doing all the things you should have been doing back in your theory program at the college level. Now you're doing it for the first time. You're going, wow. And that's what's kind of fun that you're working in partnership with your kids. By the way, your kids will be so much more sophisticated than you with their improvisation because they're not thinking. And what I try and tell teachers is you have this symbol to sound system imposed on you. Your kids don't have that. They have sound to symbol. They're going to be much more joyous. They're going to be much more free. They're going to be much more creative because when kids create from a sound to symbol, they're creating by hearing sounds in their head. When teachers create, I think teachers are thinking, oh, how do I notate that? What does that look like? And it totally prevents them from being yeah. as creative as they could be. Mm -hmm. oh, I love how you just said that. It's we expect the children to act or understand music the way we do but they yes. don't they yeah. it's just ingrained internally and it comes out it's mm -hmm. you know i i say this i've said this on this podcast before you can learn as much from your students as they learn from you if you let yes. them teach you you honestly can just like yes. i'm blown away you know like you said they're they're improv improvisations and things and you're watching them you're like oh my gosh you're so creative i'm so right. glad i gave you liberty to do that so where can everybody after this episode connect with you but also how can they find out more information about Sound Thinking Interactive? I think they should just go online to Sound Thinking Interactive and just look at the website. Okay. You're able to play around with the resources. Again, I warn you, it's a website in transition. 
I'm actually having another meeting today and we've just done some focus group research and we're changing different things about how we approach this. Like we know, for example, one of the things we want to do is for seasoned teachers, there's sort of a template there and they can put in their outcomes and they can use the resources with their own activities. For new teachers, I think what we're going to do is create these units that stand as lesson plans. So it's like the recipe book. We're creating the recipe and once they get their expertise in going through that a couple of times, then they can move over to the other model where there's more flexibility for them. But I feel that that's really important to see that. You know, they're going to see these resources, the songs with the recordings, with the notation. They're going to see worksheets for every grade. They're going to see authentic assessments for each grade. Like, what more do you want? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Which I think is yeah. exciting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on oh, the it's podcast. Really great. Yes, this has been a fantastic conversation and I and, appreciate and your time. I think, my God, I saw your eyes light up with teaching rhythm. I think we need to do something about kindergarten, but there's so much to do. Yes. But, but anyway, you, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to your mm-hmm. listeners mm-hmm. this morning. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook Group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.